0: Well, I am excited to talk about uh, Easter today, but I thought I'd start by talking about vacuum cleaners, if that's okay. I'm not sponsored, although I could be if we, you know, anybody, no. Um, no, I thought I'd start by talking about a vacuum cleaner. I have a confession to make. At one point in my life, I spent $900 on a vacuum cleaner. That's my confession. It's before you this morning. This is why we celebrate on Easter, right? Because all our sins are wiped away. But... Um, No, but at one point in my life, my wife and I decided that we would spend $900 on a vacuum cleaner. Have you ever had that one thing that you had in your mind, man, if I just got this one thing, it would change my life. We thought it would be a vacuum cleaner at one point. We had just moved into our house. Uh, When we moved here in Blaine, this was five years ago, we just moved into our house and... uh, I don't know about you, but we had trouble finding a house in our price range. So we ended up uh, settling for an older home. And when we got an older home, uh, we figured out pretty quickly, like, man, you know, we redid the floors. We had to put a lot of money into it to get it to where we wanted to go. And because we put so much energy into those floors, we wanted to keep those floors spotless. And so we decided we needed to buy a vacuum. And so we went to a vacuum shop. They only sell vacuums there. And so we sat through a presentation, a guy brought out a beautiful red vacuum with all sorts of attachments, with five different kinds of surfaces that you could, uh, you know, you could uh, do, do, your, do your thing on, and uh, so anyways, I'm, I don't know what I'm saying there, but um, anyways you got, you got your, 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 your vacuum attachments for, uh, for ceilings, for walls, for floors, for carpet, everything, and uh, HEPA filter, so no dust is coming out of that thing, and so by the end of the presentation, we were sold, that we were going to buy a $900 vacuum, and we did, and then I realized after we bought this vacuum, I was like, man, we could have spent $900 on a vacation, it was like, that's such a that's such a th- thing to do in your 30s when you have kids, right? To spend $900 on a vacuum and not on a vacation. So, um, and I mean, it's been good. The vacuum's been good. It hasn't been life-changing, uh, but it has been good. So anyways, I bought a $900 vacuum at one point in my life. And I'm sure at, at one point in your life, there's been a time where you felt, man, if I only had this one thing, it would really change my life. It would really tie everything together. Sometimes we zero in on that next one thing that we think we need, that we think could change life in a big way. And obviously I'm talking about more than vacuum cleaners. I'm talking about dream houses and dream jobs, dream careers, uh, school, uh, and even things like solving major health problems, um, losing weight, getting sober. All these things are are, are things that we look at, and we're like, if I could just do that, if I could just get through that, uh, I'd be okay. And today we gather on Easter Sunday to celebrate an event that changed life as we know it. It changed the world in a huge, huge way. 2,000 years ago, early on Sunday morning, outside of the city of Jerusalem, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And, and, um, and changed humanity forever Changed humanity forever It's been a, the claim for 2,000 years And it's a claim that continues today The empty tomb is still changing lives today And it's been 2,000 years People all around the world are still giving their lives to Jesus They're still experiencing life transformation But for you and for me, we live in a world full of vacuum cleaners Things that we look at for a while to, to distract us, to bring us some hope, to try to put the pieces of life together, and we miss out on the one thing that could change our life forever. We live in a world full of things that eventually sit in a closet, or relationships that sour, or things that eventually go bad and we have to throw out. And so today, if you're sitting in a place where you're, maybe you're here and you're frustrated with the world, uh, maybe you're here and you're feeling burdened by the world. Wherever you're at today, the question that we're going to answer is, how could one man change everything about life? How could one man, this claim of the gospel, this claim of the empty tomb, how could one man change everything about life? Because there's been a lot of people that, that come into the, the public sphere and they have a moment of fame. They have a moment impact in the world, and I was thinking through this, I went to my high school years in the year 2000, and the world was different in the year 2000, and one, one man that was impacting life in the year 2000 was Billy Blanks. Anybody remember Billy Blanks? Yeah. Ty Bo? Anybody? Anybody get, get, you know, work out to some Ty Bo back in 2000? Ty Bo was huge right and 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 Tybo was so big we were we were we were watching the tapes in my PE class in the year 2000 and I I got to admit I had trouble keeping a straight face when Billy was going and doing his his kicking moves I mean YouTube it it's it's pretty funny now it's pretty funny to watch Um, but Billy Blanks was a big deal back in the year 2000 but where are those VHS tapes now garage sales value village He's not as big a deal as he once was, but man, in in the year 2000, he was changing lives. And obviously today, I'm not here to pick on Billy Blanks, but I'm here to say, in comparison, Jesus is still changing lives. Jesus is still a big deal. Our time comes and goes in a flash. The impact of certain people lasts for a moment, but the impact of Jesus lasts forever. It's still changing lives. The movement is still going. The movement of Jesus was going on before you got here. It's going on right now, and unless He comes back, the movement of Jesus will continue after you're gone. Like it is continual, and the Bible says that He is the same to uh, yesterday, today, and forever. And so, for all who believe in Jesus, we've aligned ourselves with Him. We've aligned ourselves with the One who can change the world in His kingdom. Because he is the one who can change everything. And his victory on the cross is our victory. When he died and rose again, he defeated everything that held uh, its power over our lives. He defeated the curse of sin. All of our failures were washed away at the cross. He defeated death, the fear that looms over all of our hearts. The curse that we've seen and experienced people in our lives pass away. He defeated that curse on the cross. And he defeated hell. A final place of separation between us and God. He defeated all of that with the empty tomb. As he rose from the dead. Jesus saves us from all of that. And so that is a victory to celebrate today. That is a victory to, to hang your hat on today because Jesus did what no one else could do. No one else could change your life in that drastic of a way. No one could have that amount of impact on your life that Jesus did. And God's word says, and what we're going to talk about today, God's word says that there is one who could do it. There is one. There is one man. There's one king who could do it, who could change everything about life. And today we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians 4 where Paul is, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church and talking to them about their new identity as Christ followers. And he's writing to a church that he helped start in a city called Ephesus that speaks to this new identity in Jesus. And he speaks to what it means to be God's family, that you're not not just united to God, uh, you're united to this family called the church, uh, when you decide to follow Jesus. And this is what it says. I'm going to read Ephesians 4 1 through 6. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the calling to which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So when I read that passage, that's a whole lot of ones, right? That's a whole lot of ones. There's one who can do it. And he says that for each person that believes, God places a high calling on their life. And it's the same calling that I have, and it's the same calling that you have, to live this new life as as a new creation connected to God in Jesus. And we all share that calling. This is a calling that's available to all people throughout the world. And all we need to do is to receive it To believe, We just need to receive it and take it in to believe. And think about what it means to have a calling on your life. What does it mean to have a calling on your life? To have a calling on your life means that you have a a new primary purpose. You have a a new thing that you're living for that you actually, all the rest of your life hinges on this cause. All the rest of your life is built around this one cause, and it's the cause of Christ. It's the cause of new life. Within a reconciled relationship to God and each other, is the cause of Christ. But one thing I noticed as I was reading this passage is this call that God give, gives us is Jesus-shaped. And what I mean by that is that as we follow Jesus, he gives us his own character, that we actually become new people formed in the image of Jesus. Paul says that we're supposed to live our lives with humility, with gentleness, with patience, with love bearing with one another, and unity. Man, we need more of that in the world. Amen? Don't we need that in the world today? I feel like we're living in the opposite of that. Today, but yet that's the life that Jesus calls us to and as I was looking at all of these words and all of their meanings what I was drawn to was the word patience and it's this Greek word It's fun to say it's makrothumia and it really means to have an undefeated spirit That when we follow Jesus, we are to have like him an undefeated spirit Jesus went to the cross and died and his spirit was not defeated he, he rose again. And in the same way, as we follow Christ, as we try to live Jesus-shaped lives, we also are to live with an undefeated spirit. I know a lot of us, man, these last two years have really worn on us, haven't they? In a lot of ways. And we may feel like we're in a place of, de- uh, of defeat. Um, yet when we follow Jesus, he gives us an undefeated spirit that we grow into. And we can live with that because that's how Jesus lived for us. That he even went to the extent of dying for us, the Bible says, when we were his enemies. Jesus was willing to suffer with us for a long time. Just so that we might know him. Just so that we might accept him. Jesus is incredibly, incredibly patient with us. I am so thankful for that. You know, it, he's, he's been really patient with me. I can, I can tell you that much. But man, he he is so patient with us. You know, he doesn't cancel us, even though we might deserve it, right? He's patient with us. We deserve to be canceled, okay? You've all said things that could cancel you. (laughs) I know it. It might not be posted online, but if if I dug hard enough, I could find it. But Jesus doesn't cancel us, even though we deserve it. Jesus calls us to the same type of patience, to have that same type of patience with each other in his church. And again, I think the world would change if we lived with that kind of grace and patience and love. What if instead of being quick to react and get angry, we were loving and patient? We were still for that other person, even when they hurt us. So Paul continues, and he says that we're supposed to live a life of bearing with one another in love, that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the Jesus-shaped life, and I'll be the first to admit that the church doesn't always get it right, right? We're not always the most unified. So this is a challenge for all of us today. Let's get there. Let's, the, the, the bond of unity is something that God does and that we are called to, to preserve, we are called to just maintain that as as we seek Him, we will have if we have fellowship with God, we'll have fellowship with each other. And if we follow Jesus, then our lives will exude humility and love and patience and gentleness and a desire for unity. And I would say if you're looking for real Christianity, look for those markers. Is Jesus transforming people in that way? Because that is the way of Jesus. Are those traits on display? I would say this. If you're not sure about this Jesus-shaped life and its importance, just think about what those markers would do for your family. I know as a dad of three, if I come into a a situation, a tough parenting situation, right, where maybe the dog got into the garbage and, you know, uh, everyone's kind of... I always bring it back to the dog. You know, I don't know why. I parent the dog, I guess. I don't know. But if someone didn't do their chores and I come in and I'm angry and frustrated and, and upset, I have the potential to hurt my kids. Where what if I came in with grace and patience and humility? I know for my marriage, it makes all the difference if I come into an important conversation with peace and with humility and gentleness and not anger. And that can be hard to do, married people, right? Am I right? Because you live with this person all the time, am I right? And I am incredibly grateful I get to live with my wife, Bonnie, all the time. (laughs) She is amazing. Like, nice save. Where are you going with this? Uh, On Easter? Really? But let's bring it back. So how does one man change everything for us? Here's the first point. Jesus reshapes our human lives with God's character, right? We're supposed to live life the way that Jesus lived life, and we can't do that on our power. We actually need to be connected to God to do that, and that's what he wants. Jesus wants you to live a Jesus-shaped life, and he has the patience and grace and power to get you there. All you need is time and devotion. That's your part. So you can live now and love now with the character of God when you hand over your life to Christ. And whether that is for the first time or or for the 30th time, he has patience and grace to meet you there. And that's what the world needs. It doesn't need more anger. It doesn't need bitterness. It doesn't need self-obsession. It doesn't need selfishness. It needs people who are humble and gracious and loving. The world needs people who are transformed by Jesus, transformed by what he can do. And he's inviting you this morning to step into that grace and live that kind of life, the one life, as we get to next in the passage. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's a big deal, right? That's a big statement. God says that there is one who can change it all. There's one to follow. There's one to give your life to. Not many. One. Jesus is one of one. He's the only way. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is what? Over all and through all and in all. I can't pretend to know how that works, but that is a pretty powerful statement. Amen? Amen. It's a lot of ones. And I know some of you might think today, like, that seems exclusive. And does that challenge other faiths? Does that challenge my experience? And the reality is, yes, it does. It does challenge other faiths. It does challenge our experience. The answer is that God wants to make himself known. And he's done it in the person of Jesus. That God isn't isn't many, God is one. God is one. We don't come to the truth of God like a buffet where we pick and choose what we want. He's revealed himself in a concrete way. God is specific. He's someone to be discovered and known, who changes your life. And God revealed himself, his whole heart, in his son, Jesus. God revealed his character and his love and his grace in his son, Jesus, and the depth of that love and grace through the cross and then through the resurrection. And so he invites, God invites you to know him specifically. And here's the thing, if we can't accept that there is one, then we're gonna miss the biggest part of this statement. Is that there is one. you get it? There is one, but the greater truth is that there is one. There is one. There is a hope. There is a truth. There is a Lord. There is a faith to belong to that's real and life-changing. There is a Lord who defeated death on the cross because you know what? We couldn't. We could never be worthy of God. We had a way to connect to God. And so Jesus died so that we could be covered and, and made worthy in Him. Yeah, and so is tied to that empty tomb. There is one hope. One hope over death, over sin, over hell. One hope. There is one Lord. Now, outside of the Bible, we don't really use the term "lord" a whole lot today. I think maybe this is more like King James era, right? Like when they had lords and ladies and fancy tea parties and stuff like that. Um, but we, but "lord" is what is that a term? The, the the a ruler, a king, right? A lord is a ruler or a king. Recently, I asked a roomful of high school students if it's good news to have a lord. Like we, we kind of get the savior thing, like it's good news to be saved, but then is it good news to have somebody who rules over you? And I asked this to high school students. I'm like, does that seem a little restrictive to you? And I was really shocked, honestly. If I was in high school and I heard that, I'd probably be like, yeah, I don't, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Um, but I was, I was shocked. Like nobody, n- nobody raised their hand and said, yeah, it does. In fact, one, one kid, um, one kid said, actually, having a Lord is good news because there's somebody who knows best who can tell you what to do. Wow. I was like, That's, amen, you should preach. Like, <laughs> get up here. <laughs> yes, there's somebody who knows best who can tell you what to do. That's good news, yes. right? Yes. Somebody who knows best who can show you the real way to live. And, of course, this, this girl didn't know that when you grow up, you figure your life out. I mean, you know, you get it, you get it all dialed in. Um, no, we're all a mess, right? We, it'd be great to have who knows what, what's best to, to show us how to live and to do. And that's Jesus. And that's good news. What if there is someone who knows best? What if there is someone who won't let you down when you hand over the keys of your life? What if Carrie Underwood was right, that we should let Jesus take the wheel? Right? Yeah, I mean, Billy Blanks and Carrie Underwood, that's all you need to know about this <laughs> message today. Um, yeah. No, we think we know best, but, but the reality of Scripture, it says that there's no one who does good, not even one. No, no one's a good person on their own. We need our heart to be remade. In the image of God. We're all selfish. We all do things that help us and hurt others. We need intervention. We all deserve death. But Jesus, in his mercy, didn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to experience life. He is a rescuer and a redeemer of people. God is in the people business, He's in the people business. He wants to restore lives. And so maybe we should do what Carrie Underwood would do and just let Jesus take the wheel And not just when we're about to skid off the road Right and just all of life is just okay. Jesus. I'm, I'm about to run into this ditch. Take the wheel now We're supposed to give Jesus the wheel every day Every day when we wake up in the morning. Jesus take the wheel this morning What do you want me to do? You're Running into a difficult situation at work at home Jesus take the wheel show me what to do So there is one hope, there is one Lord, and the last one I want to focus on today is that there is one faith. And faith is a big deal because it's your part and it's my part. It's our part of of the God connection is faith. Faith is where the rubber meets the road. The Bible makes it pretty clear that the way that we're reconnected to God is through a personal faith in Jesus. That means to put all your trust and hope, all your eggs— in the Jesus basket. Yep. And so that is the question of your life. Do you believe? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you decided to trust him with your life? Have you handed over the keys and asked Jesus to guide you? Part of the resurrection story that I find really, really helpful is that even those who were closest to Jesus doubted. Even after. He rose from the dead, if you can believe that. Like, oh, that was nice, Jesus, but I'm still not sure. <laughs> really? Um, all of these men, by the way, would, would die for their faith. But in those first few weeks when Jesus came back, they struggled with doubt. One of the last times they saw Jesus, this is Matthew twenty-eight seventeen. it says that when they saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Not just one doubted. Some doubted. Some worshipped and were ready. Others doubted. There was a long struggle for some of these guys to to come to that reality uh, that that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he was Lord. And they would get there, but in the beginning they weren't sure. And that gives me hope because we're all similar to that. We're all cynical at times. We're all unsure. We all don't know. But yet God in his patience, and Jesus in his patience walks that road with us. And we see that so powerfully in the story between Jesus and Thomas. I just want to end with this story today. Because the Bible zeroes in on the faith struggle of one particular disciple named Thomas. He wasn't the only one, but he's the one the Bible talks about the most. So we get a pick on him this morning. But he struggled with doubt. This is what it says in John twenty twenty four. It says now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the others' disciples took him, or the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So Thomas, for whatever reason, was not in the room. When, when Jesus first showed up to the other ten disciples at the time. And so imagine he comes back into the room, and all the other ten disciples are freaking out, saying, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas is, is so entrenched in what he believes, he says, I will never believe. I don't care what you all say. Even if ten of you guys have the same story, I will never believe. Like, there's, there's some hardness there with Thomas. Thomas. There's some, there's some bitterness. There's something there with Thomas. Because never is a strong word. Never means you're done. I'm done believing. Yeah, exactly. Never say never, right? Um, but I'm done believing. I'm done trusting that it would take an absolute miracle to convince me that that is the truth. And so Thomas says, I would have to see Jesus and touch him to know that it's true. I'd have to see him and touch him. And so this is what happens in verse 26. It says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord. And my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So when Thomas, when Jesus walks into the room, Thomas is done. He's frustrated. He's angry. But when Jesus walks into the room, does he match that anger and frustration? Does he say, look, Thomas, I just died on a cross, and rose again, and now you're not going to believe? No. No, he doesn't do that. No, he shows up, and what's the first thing he says to the room? Peace. Peace be with you. Peace. Doubt does not create peace, everybody. Doubt doesn't create peace. Doubt creates a storm in our hearts. And Jesus comes into the room, and the first thing he says is peace. And then he turns to Thomas, and he says, that miracle you wanted to see, you can see it. I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to meet you in your doubt. Why would Jesus do that? Because that's his character. That's the character of God. Humility, gentleness, patience. God is patient with us. God is gentle with us. Jesus is not today standing above the earth with a hand ready to come down and just slap us all across the face. His arms are open. His arms are open for all of us to come home to him. And Jesus would say to you today, peace. Peace. And he'd also invite you to believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe that's Jesus' call today. And like he told Thomas, he said, "See my scars. See my scars, the spear and the nails." And of course, Thomas's immediate response was, "My Lord and my God. He worships Jesus." This is one of the passages that confirms that Jesus is God. Thomas worships him. He says, my Lord and my God. And I love what Jesus says at the end because it's about us. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed. You know what that word blessed means? Happy. Happy Happier those who have not seen and yet believe. Happier those who, who, even though they just hear about it, it resonates in their heart, and they believe it, and they're transformed. Happy are those who believed. We, we live in a country that's about the pursuit of happiness. And Jesus is saying, here it is. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Believe in me. It's not a happiness that will be built on your circumstances or, or your bank account or anything like that. It's a happiness that will be built on a real relationship with God and a hope and a, and a faith and a, a Lord, someone who can tell you what to do when you don't know what to do. Yeah. Happiness is built on a trusting faith in Jesus and he invites you today to believe, to, to have one hope, to have one Lord, to have one faith. And for some of us today, that might be a coming back. You know, you, you could even have been in the church for a long time and it might just be, man, I need to come back to that faith I need to receive that, that grace again. I just need to, I, I need to restore um, my attention on, on Jesus. And, and he's ready to meet you. I love the passage that says his mercies are new every morning. Like that grace does not run out. If we're truly repentant, he's ready to come t- and, and meet you where you're at. Maybe you have struggled with doubt. I know in my life, I struggled with doubt for a long time and, and God had to meet me in my doubt and it wasn't even so much that was God true it was was God good was he loving that was my doubt and he showed me that he, he's all about love he is love so he has to be about love right God is love and what we celebrate today is the fullest expression of God's love towards you God Almighty came to earth, walked with us, died for us, and rose again.